What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the show. Brennan Schaefer here with you for another episode of Be Shafe Daily, rolling along here on a Tuesday. It is Tuesday, March 24th, and we are still in quarantine mode here in the United States. No sports live to talk about. We do have a little bit of baseball news we can talk about today as Mets pitcher Noah Syndergaard, otherwise known as Thor, it was just announced and reported on Tuesday, is going to have Tommy John surgery, which is a bummer to see because you never like to see guys get hurt, especially pitchers having to have Tommy John surgery because you know they're going to be out for a year or a little bit more than that, 12 to 15 months usually. And even more than that, you hate to see it for guys that are really, really good. And Noah Syndergaard is really good. It's really fun to watch pitch. And so we won't be able to do that if and when the 2020 baseball season does resume. So that's kind of a bummer. My second thought after saying, you know, that sucks, which it does, is wondering whether Michael Walker might get a chance in that Mets rotation. The Mets signed a bunch of, like, several kind of journeyman, kind of number five starter type pitchers this offseason, and Michael Walker is one of them. And if they have injuries to that rotation, which it seems like the Mets always do and always have, they've always had like the the best crop of young pitching when all those guys came up around the same time with Syndergaard and DeGrom and Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler all involved in that group. Wheeler now moved on to Philadelphia. Syndergaard now is out, and so you've got DeGrom as the anchor to that rotation, but some of the guys that they've filled in with. Remember a couple of years ago, they had Robert Gesselman, Gesselman, not sure how to say his name, but he filled in, Seth Lugo has filled in for them. But Lugo has kind of turned into a lights-out reliever. He could get some opportunities to close some games if Edwin Diaz continues to struggle. They've got Dylan Batances on that roster now out of the bullpen as well. But I'm looking at their depth chart. They've got DeGrom listed number one, Cindergard number two. That's a no-go. Stroman then bumped up to number two from three. Uh, Waka's listed at number four, so potentially going to have a chance. Rick Porcello and Steven Matz could potentially round out that rotation now without Cindergard. But... More injury news, and I wonder if you're going to start to see... Oh, and look at that. Jason Shreve as well is listed on the Mets roster. I don't know if I knew that, but maybe... Is that where he went, I guess, after he left the Cardinals, but he may or may not have pitched in the big leagues? I don't quite remember. But anyway, what I wanted to talk about is the idea that with this coronavirus situation that's going on and some uncertainty over when and whether the baseball season will resume this year... Could it be a situation where you start to see more and more guys who've had these chronic injury concerns, these, you know, things that just kind of linger for them? Could this be as good a time as any to go ahead and get those repaired, have the surgery that you've been putting off? Because at this point in time, you don't know if 2020 is going to be a wash or if there's going to be a season or if there is a season, what the length of the season will be like. I think it's really hard to say that we know for sure that baseball is going to happen in 2020 because you think back a couple weeks ago, nothing, none of this had happened yet. We were assuming, I mean, we were talking about, well, maybe they'd play the games without fans, but I mean, canceling games was not even a thought you know, nobody was talking about that. And so it all kind of didn't creep in. It came about very quickly and rapidly. And then when it did, the reality began to set in. And I think we, we have a pretty good idea now of, of how serious the situation is, but I don't know that that's to say it couldn't continue to get worse or it couldn't be something that lasts longer than we currently anticipate. So guys that maybe, you know, were on the fence about trying to rehab and and pitch through or play through something could potentially start to, to have those surgeries. 
you know, Chris Sale is another name for the Red Sox that he, it was announced, I think last week that he's having surgery. And so he'll be out for a year. And it's just, that's two stars in Thor and Chris Sale that are going down and not going to be on the field for a while. Even if everybody else is, they won't be. And so it's a bummer for, you know, a guy that likes to watch baseball. I'm a baseball fan. I love to, to see the best compete. And so you hate to see that, but I think it kind of makes sense from a almost a strategic standpoint of, hey, right now we don't know, and I might not really be missing much of anything in 2020. Uh, so w- rather than wait it out, and then, I mean, worst case scenario, imagine if they have a truncated season in 2020 and, you know, they still crown a champion, but it feels like it's a little cheapened because maybe they only play 80 games. It's just not quite the same thing. And so imagine that happens, and then you're a guy who, or heaven forbid, like they don't have a season. And then you're a guy who tried to pitch through or play through something, and then next spring, you know, you realize, no, it's just not going to work, and I have to have the surgery. So you'd potentially miss the bulk of whatever, you know, the 2020 situation ends up being. You miss 2021 and part of 2022. So that would be a real shame if you were to kind of take the risk and err on the side of going for it in the short term and then having to go back later and and repair whatever injuries were, were going on for you. That would be a shame. And so, you know, hopefully that's not the situation with Miles Michaelis. Like, he's got the flexor tendon. You know, based on everything we know right now, he should be back probably by the time baseball is, is played again, potentially. But this is an injury that lingered from the end of last season, lingered into the spring. And so if it continues to linger, it doesn't get solved by the PRP injection the second time he's had that, then perhaps it's something, you know, you worry about the elbow when you start talking about stuff with a guy's arm and how these injuries kind of tend to lead to a chain reaction. One thing leads to the next. And before you know it, a guy who it was just a minor strain, not located in the elbow. Next thing you know, oftentimes you do hear, okay, yeah, it is Tommy John. He's shut down. So hoping that's not the case for Michaelis. Hoping Jordan Hicks, who already did go through the Tommy John, talk about good timing because he's just, he's going to miss less baseball than he otherwise would have had to because, you know, had the Tommy John in the middle of last season, Typically going to take a full year, maybe a little more to get back into game action. But we're, we're talking about a month or more potentially being lopped off of this 2020 schedule. So that's going to work into his timeline as well. Wanted to talk about, in addition to some of the, the news, which there isn't a lot of news that's going on now. But when there is, definitely going to try to talk any amount of baseball that we can. And maybe something that I'll think about doing as we progress here a little bit further is, you know, something I've done right around this time every year is talk about, you know, rank the best rotations, starting rotations in the National League, maybe rank the lineups in the National League, break down each facet of the teams in the NL Central, where do the Cardinals stack up? I think that's all really interesting stuff. And I, you know, would love to dive into it, but it feels kind of like hard to do right now because yeah, you could write that article or you could talk about that on the podcast and you know, the end of March, but when, when the end of March in early April is not the beginning of the baseball season, it's kind of hard to, to know where things will stand. Like more guys could get hurt. Things could change. Guys could get healthy that you're not counting on. So it just feels a little bit early if we may not have baseball for a month, but hopefully whenever we get an idea or an indication of when baseball is going to start back up again, that's when I can start to dive into some of that stuff as we, uh, as we get rolling here a little bit, but Right now, what I wanted to do and what I've been doing, as I've talked about on the podcast, is the Cards Capsules series for KMOV, looking back at games starting in the year 2000, working our way to present day. And today, I wrote about a really fun game, um, definitely the most significant game so far of of the series, 
because it was the the Cardinals the, the year of the Cardinals first National League pennant since 1987 and that was 2004 when the Cardinals took on the Houston Astros in the NLCS. You remember game 6, Jim Edmonds had the walk-off home run where he immediately threw both arms into the air because he knew he got all of it and that sent the Cardinals to a decisive game 7. Remember the Cardinals were facing elimination in that game 6 in 2004. The Game 6 before the Game 6. You know, when you think about Game 6 now as a St. Louis baseball fan, your mind immediately jumps to 2011 David Freeze in the World Series, as well it should. But of course, just make sure when you're thinking about that game, you're not just thinking about the home run. You remember the triple, which was, in my opinion, way more significant. You remember Jake Westbrook getting the win. You remember Lance Berkman's clutch single. The Cardinals did not win the World Series without the contributions of Lance Berkman that year. So there's a lot to get to in that game. And obviously, when I get to 2011 in this Cards Capsule Series, that's the game I'm going to be talking about there, you know, from, from that year because I'm going year by year, picking one game per. Uh, there is an argument to be made for a July 2004 game where the Cardinals beat the Cubs. I believe Albert went like 5-for-5, five five, had three home runs. It was a massive comeback. Cardinals were down like 7-1. to one. I think Sotoguchi hit a home run. Uh, to to put them in the lead or to tie the game or something like that at the end. So uh, I linked that video because that game is fully available online on YouTube. I, I put a link to that video in the story for KMOV that I did about Game 6 2004 NLCS because if people want to, you know, the whole point of this series is to have people go back and watch these games. I've been doing it, and it's been a great source of entertainment for me. So if, if you're like, eh, I don't really care. It happened, you know, however long ago. That's totally true, and I get it, but... Right now, it's all we got, so I figured kind of run through that and take take it uh, back in time a little bit and be able to enjoy some of the things you forgot, like the Julian Tavares thing from this 2004 NLCS. Totally, you know, I remember that it happened, but it was kind of fuzzy, but the blowout that he had in Game 4 when he allowed a home run to Beltron, which now we think of Beltron in a whole different way if you're, you know, in the Cardinals world, a fan or covering the team as I have. You think about Beltron differently now than you do even a year ago at this time, first of all, before we knew about all the sign-stealing stuff that happened in 2017 that he was evidently, like, the ringleader of. So that's kind of one difference that you think about it. But even, like, prior to his Cardinals career and after his Cardinals career, because with the Cardinals, he was awesome. Like, it was it was great to have him on the Cardinals because he was a producer, he was clutch. Uh, we'll never forget the throw that he made in against the Dodgers, I believe it was. I want to say that was an NLCS game or NLDS game, one of the two. I know it was one of the two. I just can't remember which. But it was on the the ball into right center field. John Jay was basically camped under this as a center fielder, and Beltron like shooed him away, and Jay obeyed because Jay did not have just never had an arm. Uh, I've never been shy about that. Never been a fan of John Jay's throwing arm, strength wise. I'm sure he could be accurate enough, but they they had to get the guy at the plate, and so Beltron you know, took a, a route to the ball that it was not his ball to catch, except for the fact that he had the arm and he gunned down the runner at the plate. That's where Yadier Molina does the fist pumps after in that extra inning game. And then Beltron had the hit that walked the Cardinals off in that one. So uh, I, that was either 2013, 2014, one of those years. But my point with all of this is you think about Carlos Beltron such a different way to where it's hard to almost remember in full what it was like to have the Cardinals facing Carlos Beltran, what really felt like every year in the postseason, and him to just absolutely wreck every single time. 
2004, he was with the Astros because he was traded from the Kansas City Royals to Houston middle of that year. That was the only time he spent with the Astros until he rejoined the team in 2017. He was only there for a few months and then he moved on. And you remember, you know, the games against the Mets that he had in 2006, which obviously the biggest memory of all was the the 06 strikeout curveball against Adam Wainwright. But otherwise, he was just an absolute pest for the Cardinals to face. And it always seemed like Cardinals against Beltran in the postseason in those mid 2000s. And that was that was the case as well. And this it started all here in 2004 when he was with the Astros. And in this game six, he has a, a hit and he scores from first on a double. You know, he had sp- absolute speed back in back in those days. Crazy wheels. And so had another run scored in the first inning because he stole a base. Like Carlos Beltran was doing everything in the series, in that postseason, and against the Cardinals in 2004. I mentioned Lance Berkman a little bit earlier. He was also on that 4 Astros team. But that was the Astros in 2004 trying to get to their first ever World Series. They obviously did the next year in 05. Not going to look ahead too much to that today because I'm going to write about 05 tomorrow. And even though the Cardinals lost the series, I imagine you can guess what game I'm going to want to look back and watch from 2005, final year at Bush Stadium. You know, I shouldn't even have to say anything. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. But in 2004, the Astros were were looking at that time to get to the World Series for the first time. And so it would stand to reason that in that Game 6 with a 3-2 lead after Jeff Kent had a walk-off in Game 5 to put the Astros on top 3-2 in the series, you'd want to do everything you can to make sure you lock that up. They had Roger Clemens they could have gone to on three days rest. Manager of the Astros at the time was Phil Garner. And instead, they went to this guy who's honestly, until I started watching back the game today, I didn't even remember who this guy was. His name is Peter Monroe, and he was kind of a journeyman, was in the minor league systems for a lot of different teams over the course of his career. But in this particular year, in 2004, he was with the Astros in October. That's all that mattered, right? So he had thrown about 21 games for them that season, didn't do particularly well, had an ERA above five, had a 4-7 and record. But for whatever reason, Phil Garner decided we're not going to go to Roger Clemens. We're not going to go to the Rocket for Game 6. We'll save him for a potential Game 7, which is honestly a loser's mentality. I understand it, but if if you're thinking about you know what happens if you lose this Game 6, rather than going for the jugular, trying to get to that World Series, lock it down here, I, I kind of wonder about, about that thought process. Now, ultimately, the Rocket... Clemens did pitch in Game 7. He didn't pitch incredibly well. Had like six innings, three runs, something like that. And the Cardinals obviously won that Game 7. So on on even one fewer day's rest, who's to say he would have had a good outing and it would have made much of a difference? But I probably wouldn't have picked Pete Monroe just looking at his stats from that season. Like I said, 4-7 and seven record, area of 5.15 in 99 innings pitched. And kind of hilariously, I mean, I guess not for him, but... Just in the grand scheme of things, the last pitch of Pete Monroe's Major League career came in this Game 6 in the 2004 NLCS. He gave up a two-run single to Edgar Renteria, and that was it in the third inning, and he never threw a pitch in the Major Leagues again. 29 years old that year, went to New York in 05, pitched in AAA, mediocre numbers. Uh, Minnesota in 2006, mediocre numbers in AAA. That was it for his his career in affiliated baseball. I haven't looked him up, so I don't know exactly what he did after that. But kind of crazy, the Astros, in Game 6, they started a guy who 
would throw his last pitch of his MLB career on that day. And so it obviously didn't work out. He gave up eight hits, four runs, and just over two innings against the Cardinals lineup. Albert hit a home run in that first inning off him. Uh, I told you about the Renteria play, had the single that, that knocked him out of the game. And so the Cardinals had the four runs, looked like it was going to have been enough. Uh, Mike Lamb, I think it was, hits a home run off Matt Morris. Morris gets through five innings, and then they get to the bullpen. And Jason Isringhausen, the closer at the time for the Cardinals, got the eighth inning, tried to get him the two-out save, but then he coughed it up in the ninth. So then you go to extra innings, kind of forgotten in that potentially by some. I, I know I didn't realize it, at, you know, going back and looking at it today. Jason Isringhausen actually pitched the 10th inning as well. His third inning of work only needed five pitches to get out of that 10th. So he was at least sharp in that inning, allowing things to continue. But as I mentioned earlier, and as you'll often find on this show, I'll that's, that's what happens when you go off the cuff stream of consciousness, because I was talking about Julian Tavares. I got on a thread about Carlos Beltran, and then it was gone. But what I had forgotten from this series was that Julian Tavares in Game 4, again, hadn't forgotten it, but hadn't just remembered exactly the details. In Game 4, Tavares gave up the home run to Beltran, and then on a 3-2 pitch to Jeff Bagwell, threw it over his head, prompting a shouting match between the two of them, which you can see in this broadcast of Game 6, because Julian Tavares came into Game 6 to pitch for the first time since that happened. You remember he punched the bullpen phone, had like a maniacal fit as he left the mound at the end of that inning, because he got a double play ball to get out of it, and so like at least finished on a high note, but he just like lost his mind as he went to the, the dugout and like slammed his hand and his glove against the bullpen phone and like broke bones in his non-pitching hand. And so the Cardinals weren't sure. He was fined $10,000 by MLB for, I, I don't know if it was specifically for throwing at Bagwell or if it was a shouting match or if it was the, the antics. I don't know what it was exactly that spurred the fine, but he was fined $10,000. And then the Cardinals, you know, on the broadcast, you hear him talking about it in game six. They weren't exactly sure what his status would be whether or not he'd be able to pitch. And in the end, he does come into that game because it goes extra innings. So after Izzy pitches the 10th, Tavares is out for the 11th and the 12th, and he retires six batters in a row. Like, people, when you think back on Julian Tavares, not probably very many people's favorite Cardinal. He was only here for two years. But go and look at his numbers. He was, like, really, really good for those two years. It was arguably the two best years of Julian Tavares' career. Even though he was kind of nuts, he was really good on the mound for St. Louis and stayed with the team for 2005, the year they reached the NLCS the next year against the Astros. So say what you will, but he got the job done on this day in 2004, and he actually ends up being the winning pitcher after, of course, Jim Edmonds launches the home run in the bottom of the 12th. He throws his hands in the air, and Tom Brenneman, I believe, was the play-by-play guy for Fox on that game in the NLCS, and he immediately says, we're going to game number seven. And it was kind of cool there, too, on the video, which MLB Vault has this on YouTube, so that's why I wrote about the game, because within the article, you can find it on KMOV, Cards Capsules, uh, on their website, KMOV.com. On the broadcast, Chris Myers, who does NFL stuff, now is how you probably think of him most prominently for Fox. I don't know if he still does any any sideline kind of stuff for the postseason in baseball. Uh, maybe he does, but NFL is what I think about him for now. But he was the sideline guy for... Uh, the field guy, I guess you'd call it in baseball, for that NLCS. And he interviewed Jim Edmonds after the game. Really cool to kind of get to see that in the moment. And so look back on that from whatever it's been now, 15, 16 years ago. And Edmonds, you know, came to the Cardinals in like 2000. It, by 2004, you know, the Cardinals had had still not 
kind of reached the pinnacle of their success, hadn't captured that pennant yet. Of course, they do in that 04 season, even though they get swept in the World Series. They eventually capture the World Series in 06. But this was like the, the big kind of watershed pinnacle moment for Jim Evans' career as a Cardinal. One of the, you know, probably the biggest moment. I know there there were others, but that was uh, that's the one that sticks out in my mind probably most prominently. Uh, let me know what else you recall about Jim Evans. Had a great career for the Cardinals. But you can hit me up with any questions or comments that you might have at bshafer12 on Twitter. Haven't plugged this in a while, but you can also leave me a voice message. Uh, throw me a topic to talk about on the podcast. You can record it at anchor.fm slash bshafer12 slash message. And I can put your voice right into the podcast alongside my own. That's a lot of fun. Haven't done that in a little while, but I enjoy doing that. And right now is the time to do it because if you've got anything crazy or off the wall, I may be inclined to include it. Uh, as a as a talking point, as a topic to discuss. But as I mentioned, you can hit me up on social media pretty much anywhere. I'm at bshafer12. That's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Haven't got really too far into that yet, but I think it would be kind of fun. I've been working on the Diamond Dynasty on that show. It's it's really a fun game, the show game, uh, the new one for 2020. So I'm enjoying that and doing some online stuff as well. DM me if you want to play me. I'm not very good, but I'll give you I'll give you a run for your money. So. That would be kind of fun, too. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this edition of B-Shape Daily. Make sure you subscribe and follow the show. You can do so at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, as well as a few other apps that can all be found and accessed from the Anchor website, anchor.fm slash bshafer12. Whatever apps you use to listen to podcasts, I'm pretty sure we can have one on there that will accommodate you. So appreciate you guys for being along for the ride. We're going to ride it out, as I've been saying, until we get back to baseball. And when we do, it's going to be a whole heck of a lot of fun. And hopefully that time is just around the corner. But until tomorrow, I'll talk to you then. This has been another episode of Be Shaved Daily.